For this episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Aura Tanner. Aura is the Chief Learning Officer at the AI Education Project, where she oversees instructional design and the development of the AI Education Project's curricula. This includes lesson plans, projects, activities, and training materials for teachers. The AI Education Project provides, uh, and I quote, multidisciplinary curriculum that addresses the skills and knowledge necessary to thrive in and positively contribute to a society where AI and automation are increasingly a part of every industry, end quote. They're trying to reach students directly to bridge what's being called the third digital divide. The first digital divide was access to technology, hardware and software, literally what stuff is in students' classrooms. The second digital divide focused more on how that tech was being used. So not just the stuff, but what's actually being done with that stuff. So two schools could have the same hardware and software, but one might be using those tools in much more of a, let's use the word innovative uh, way. The third digital divide is focused on how interaction with technology benefits one's life outcomes. How does the stuff and the way that stuff is being used impact students' lives, both positively and negatively? How does the internet of things, how does the way that a student interacts with technology, both inside and outside their classroom, create or limit opportunity? This is a relatively new lens with which to view tech, so more to come on this. Aura is also a former science teacher she has a Master of Science in Physics, and she is finishing up her PhD in Instructional Technology and Educational Me Measurement at the University of South Florida. So she has a unique set of experiences and what I think is a fascinating perspective on the K-12 space. During our conversation, we talk about the work she's doing at the AI Education Project and the role that AI might play in the K-12 space. We also talk a bit about the role that identity can play in the science classroom. The podcast isn't too technical, so you don't need too much knowledge of AI to follow the conversation. I enjoyed talking with Aura. I hope you do as well. For questions or comments on the pod, you can reach me at matt at spanningboundaries.com. This is the beginning of a journey for me. I want to make this as useful a product as possible, so your feedback is much appreciated. You can also share guest recommendations with me, uh, and uh, if you get a chance, please leave a review on iTunes. So without further ado, I bring you Aura Tanner. Welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Thank you for inviting me. Excited to be here. So you have a, an interesting background um, in the K-12 space uh, and in research as well. Um, can you tell the audience a bit about yourself? Um, what do you do now? How did you end up doing this work? And uh, why are you passionate about it? Sure. I am currently um, one of the co-founders and the chief learning officer at the AI Education Project. And we're a um, tech nonprofit that's developing curricula to teach high school students about artificial intelligence, uh, specifically its impacts um, and the future of work. And so just a little bit how I came to be doing that work is by training, I am a physicist. So I have my bachelor's and master's in physics, was working as a nuclear physicist uh, doing brain cancer, breast cancer research, and then um, got married, um, and of course was going to have a child, so it's probably not <laughs> the area you want to keep working in, <laughs> with working with radioactive uh, materials. Um, so I actually ended up getting into uh, early child care, like I worked at the preschool that um, my son was at, and then I kind of just stuck with that. So I went to elementary, then middle school, uh, 
taught um, at a regional science center, taught at the high school level of physics um, to homeschool students, and uh, taught a couple of years community college, um, and a little bit of teaching at like four-year college. So um, just kind of went through the whole life cycle of education. <laughs> but what I noticed there at every at every level in my mind, because um, I'm not an educator by training, but I just saw that uh, we really, I think, undervalue what students can learn and how they can learn. Um, and just specifically how I came to the AI education work is um, during my time as a eighth grade teacher um, at a Title I school, I kind of saw how, you know, the technology was being more used for remediation um, instead of empowerment <laughs> um, and acceleration. So I just started using the available technology that was there to really just put it in the hands of my students um, and empower them. And I really saw huge gains um, by the metrics of, you know, state tests um, and even their classroom grades. And so that kind of inspired me like, hey, maybe if teachers were trained better <laughs> to create, you know, better learning experiences using technology, then maybe we'd see better learning. Um, and that actually inspired me to go back to school. And so I'm working on my PhD, finishing it up now in instructional technology and uh, educational measurement. Yeah, that's a that's a fascinating background. And I just, I, I appreciate the uh, the sort of winding trajectory you took to where you, uh, where you uh, are today. Um, I feel like I've taken kind of a similar trajectory as well. And I think it's useful because it builds, I think, a deeper understanding of, uh, of the K-12 space when you have, uh, you know, worked in experience various facets of, uh, of that world. Um, so there was a lot there. Um, I mean, one thing I would love to ask about, but I do want to put a pin in it, just what does it actually look like to empower students with technology? Um, but uh, the focus of today's conversation um, is going to be artificial intelligence. So um, if we have time, we can get back to that because uh, it's a topic that I'm also passionate about. Um, but I do want to um, talk about AI because um, it's a term that's frequently used, but I think often misunderstood or misused. Um, and so can we start with just how you define artificial intelligence? Um, what is it? And then as you talk through your understanding of the term, maybe reference some other relevant concepts such as machine learning um, or any other terms that you think are, are pertinent. Okay. Yeah, the way we define it in our um, curriculum, well, first we let the students know that there is no one agreed upon uh, definition for artificial intelligence. Like it literally depends on who you're asking. Um, and we actually include like, uh, this link to this page that has like 20 different <laughs> definitions of how different people from, you know, economists to, you know, computer scientists, programmers, like all these different people, and they kind of say some different things, but uh, we're, we just tell the students, you know, artificial intelligence is the broad concept that a machine has the ability um, to do things that we as humans uh, what consider intelligent. Uh, so it appears they're, you know, making decisions or making predictions or uh, performing a task that humans would normally be able to do, or it would require some type of intelligence on a machine's part to be able to do that. Um, so that's just at a really high level, um, how we define it. Um, 
And so as far as just relevant um, terms such as machine learning, or another way I like to say it is just code that can learn. Uh, that's another thing we point out in our curriculum. Uh, people kind of get this image in their head of like a killer robot or some kind of robot, you know, taking jobs. Uh, but we literally just have this picture and it's lines of code. And that's what artificial intelligence is. It's code that can learn um, and kind of make these predictions and do these tasks without having a human to actually specifically tell them what to do. Um, so we have this formula we kind of use, <laughs> um, how, how do they, you know, get this ability? So it's data plus algorithms equals do something or, you know, prediction, uh, perform a task or make a decision. Um, so we point out that, uh, without data, there really is no AI because that's the only way they, uh, the code can learn. Um, and then the algorithm, of course, is just a set of rules that's applied to, you know, this huge amount of data. And then the outcome from that uh, is some type of prediction about something, um, a task to be performed or a decision to be made. And I appreciate you defining uh, data and algorithms um, because I think those are also somewhat misunderstood terms. Um, and uh, the one of the other <clears throat> podcasts that I'll be releasing um, will be uh, around data use in the K-12 space. Um, and uh, I think there are uh, a lot of connections to how data is being used, how's da how data is being collected, um, connections to artificial intelligence. I think that's a conversation for another time. Um, but um, I do I do just appreciate you calling, calling that out. Um, what what is most misunderstood about artificial intelligence? Um, and certainly, I think you can, you know, talk about that broadly, or you can talk about it in connection to K twelve specifically. Yeah, I would just say probably what the capabilities are. So um, I just think the probably movie industry, sci-fi industry has really painted this narrative that, you know, machines, you know, or computers can just start making these decisions, but that's more uh, general AI where, you know, it's operating at that level to just make these decisions. But all of the examples that we see now in our everyday life are um, narrow AI, which means uh, they can learn to do a particular specific task and that only. And so um, I think we see students are kind of surprised when they go through our curriculum, but I think it also takes away the fear. So, you know, say for instance, um, the recommender tool on YouTube, you know, can't, you know, it, that's what it does is uses the data to predict what you want to see next, but it can't, you know, jump over to the side and, you know, all of a sudden, hey, I know what you want to order at the restaurant, you know, like that's kind of out of the scope, you know, AI can only do one thing. And these are pretty much a rote task. Um, and probably it's good that they're automated, but they can't replace humans. Um, so I think that's what one of the just misunderstandings is like, oh, I should be afraid it's going to, you know, take my job. Uh, but with any job, you know, there probably are some things that AI would be really good at, you know, like, hey, I have to stamp, you know, 100 papers with a stamp every day. It's probably something AI could do to free you up to do other things. But interacting, you know, with 
customers and being able to understand the context of something or read, you know, somebody's uh, emotional, you know, state, like, oh, I can tell they're really distressed. Let me respond this way, you know? So I think that's the biggest thing, like what AI can do versus what humans are really good at and can do. Yeah, and I think that's helpful, um, certainly helpful at a broader uh, level. Um, why don't we get into some specifics around AI and K-12? Um, so what role do you see AI playing right now in schools? Um, and I want to get to, you know, in a perfect world, how you envision AI um, <clears throat> in, in the K-12 space. Um, and as, uh, you know, AI capabilities improve over time, I think the, the scope of its impact can broaden. Um, but uh, maybe right now, what what role is AI playing? Um, and if you could provide some practical examples um, for folks who maybe aren't as familiar with artificial intelligence and how it might actually be impacting their lives as teachers, as, you know, school principals, um, for students as well. That'd be great. Yeah, I think one of the big ways is, um, I guess, in the push for personalized learning. So actually getting, you know, content learning experiences um, for individual students, you know, to learn their way at their pace, uh, things they're interested in um, is one of the largest way because it can kind of look at what a student you know, has done before and then kind of make predictions, kind of like the same recommendation um, tools used online for like Netflix, but with um, just learning content and learning pathways. Um, I think also just for like, as far as teachers, I think a lot of the task, you know, that they have to do, say for instance, um, you know, grading um, or just lesson planning, um, I think it can be used for a lot of those things um, as well. Like I mentioned, just a lot of the, just wrote things that teachers have to do on a everyday basis. So I've also um, read some things, you know, um, there's a book by Neil Selwyn, I wanna say, um, called Should Robots Replace Teachers? I'm probably saying it wrong, but um, it talks about all the tasks, you know, a lot of the things that teachers just do in their uh, everyday, like attendance or grading or things like that. But you could possibly run into a situation where um, say if teachers are getting, uh, if there's a score attached to you know, how well a teacher is doing a certain task and AI is the one that determining what that score is, um, then teachers might not have the freedoms that, uh, you know, we say they can, like, hey, we're gonna automate all these things, which frees you up to be more creative. Um, but there is the possibility that it could be um, that the teachers end up kind of changing what they do to get a higher score. So they really are losing freedom versus uh, gaining freedom. And so I think that just goes to talk about like unintended consequences um, with using AI for different things. You might start off like, hey, this is gonna be great. But you have to think, <laughs> you know, second and third level consequences uh, with the technology. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you see it a lot with technology where they, 
they are marketed as these time-saving um, opportunities. And I think a lot with AI, that seems to be, you know, a lot of the focus along with personalized learning. Um, but uh, you have to train teachers in how to use those technologies in the example you were using, um, you know, hoping that teachers do not game the technologies in a certain way or uh, modify their practice in a counterproductive way that, you know, ideally envisioned would as you referenced, expand their creativity when in reality it can be constricting. Um, and so I think in the AI space, it's so important to consider both the benefits and the limitations of a lot of these, uh, a lot of these technologies. So my students, uh, they took the map test um, developed by NWEA. Uh, the test was marketed as an adaptive test. So students received different questions based on correct or incorrect answers. Is that an example of artificial intelligence? Um, and I guess another question along those lines, what is even meant by software that's adaptive? Um, I wouldn't say that's necessarily adaptive. That could be more of just like, cause I've designed educational games that were adaptive. So it's like, if you answer this question, then give them a question from this set. And if they answer that one correctly, then, oh, give them a question from this set. So that to me isn't, I guess it depends on how um, the system is using the student's data. Like if it were, for instance, hey, students who answer, you know, if they had just had tons of data from a bunch of students who have taken the test previously and they've created personas like, hey, the AI has learned that students who start off answering these first three questions can predict, oh, they're going to go this route, so we need to give them this type of question, then that would be AI. But if it's just purely looking at the, using the questions they answer to kind of give them the next one, that would not necessarily be AI because the games I was making was not, it was just purely based on <laughs> the, the previous questions they answered, or in some instances, just the kind of the whole process of um, responses they were giving. So it just depends on how it was programmed, but I wouldn't say necessarily that it was. That's helpful. So you've talked a little bit about the role of AI currently in schools. Um, in an ideal world, as capabilities expand, um, how do you envision uh, AI, uh, you know, the evolution of AI in the K-12 space. Um, and then maybe you can talk a little bit about, um, when you answer that question, the, the third digital divide, and then um, you can reference the first and second digital divides as well, um, if you feel that that's relevant. Okay. Yeah, I guess in a perfect world, like from my end, I'm like, I always focus on like the design of learning experiences. So, I don't know that I'm necessarily, well, with the personalized learning, I think just using, I guess, I guess it's kind of like more um, a conundrum for me because you would have to like use data from other parts of students' lives, which I'm not really a fan of that. So it would have to, you know, ethical issues of that, but just kind of getting a whole picture, using data to get a whole picture of who a student really is, and then using that to create um, the learning experiences for that student. I think if there was a way to like 
be transparent about how the student's data is being used or giving the student just full ownership of using the data to create learning experiences, I think is something I would really like to see in the future. Um, and not just with AI, with like any technology. I think a lot of times techno educational technologies in general aren't put into the hands of the students so they can kind of drive their own learning. So I would like to see, you know, students really just come to this understanding of what it is, how it can be used, and then kind of put it in their hands to envision how they want to learn. So giving them the control, whether that's being a designer of it, a consumer of it, um, or applying it uh, to certain areas to solve problems is kind of how I would envision it. Like not just limiting it to them being the consumer and a user, but also a creator, a leader, you know, finding new applications to actually solve real world problems, I think is how I would like to see it <laughs> in a perfect yeah. world. Great. Um, and uh, a couple more questions before getting into the specifics around the AI education project. Um, what do you feel like school and district leaders at this point need to know about artificial intelligence? And also, what do teachers need to know? What do parents need to know? Um, and I think the, the the thread that you were going down there around uh, misuses of data, um, ownership of data, I think is particularly relevant. Yeah, if you could um, just discuss, you know, as a school leader who maybe isn't as familiar with AI, um, but here's the term a lot, as a teacher who isn't as familiar with it, like the example that I used around the map test, I think there might be folks who would say that because it's adaptive, um, that is, you know, artificial intelligence. What, uh, what are some core, I think, points that those folks, those various groups need to know um, to ensure that AI is being used um, appropriately in their learning environments? Yeah, I would say something district leaders would need to know is just, it is increasingly being, well, already being used in just a lot of systems. So say for instance, I know there's a push of using, say for instance, Alexa in school systems for educational purposes, but just recognizing that these systems do use a lot of student data. And when you give permission to use that data, you're also giving permission for it to be sold to third parties for their uses. So even though you might create like this awesome learning experience, you are also creating kind of opportunity for students to be targeted <laughs> by other entities. So I just think the amount of data, the types of data that students and parents need to be made aware of this data. Um, like a good example is there's a lesson where we kind of go over data, you know, that's being collected, for instance, on TikTok, because uh, that's something, you know, that's kind of being brought into the um, education space. Like, hey, respond to this, you know, assignment by making a TikTok video. Okay, well, <laughs> if you go to the, you know, privacy page for the TikTok um, website, they lay out, you know, it's not like they're trying to hide it, but you know, they're your name, your birthday, they're collecting payment information, but they're also collecting device specific information, like what's the resolution of the screen of your phone or whatever device you're using it on, or what have you copied and pasted? What other apps are, have you downloaded? And it kind of, gets you to thinking like, why do you need to know all of these things just for me to use this app? But, and they actually state, hey, we want to understand 
uh, your behavior as a user of this application. So I think they just need to recognize that it's more than just using the tool, it's understanding your behavior and it's economically motivated, <laughs> like so that they can target you, keep them on your platform uh, so that they can make more money. I think that's a big recognition. And then just recognizing the amount of data that's being collected by using these systems. I think some people would be alarmed <laughs> um, at different uh, systems. And then just helping that they need to be aware of how these systems work so they can help, you know, one, themselves be educated, but also educate the students. And once again, I think giving them the choice, like, hey, now on the front end, if I knew that, you know, it was collecting all this and it's being used for these other purposes outside of education, would I really give permission? <laughs> and so I think just kind of thinking through those things, like what is actually entailed for this thing to work just the types of predictions that are being made uh, as well. It could take that same data to say, oh, they're gonna get an A in this class, but it can also be used, hey, which, how do we think they're gonna vote you know, in the future? And it can start giving nudges to kind of get you to go a certain way or to buy a certain product. But just knowing that the use of a tool doesn't end <laughs> with you using it, like that data goes on and it's going to be used for other ways. And so I think that's my main thing that they need. The risks are huge <laughs> compared to the benefits. Yeah, that's a, there's a catch 22 there, or as I, I saw on Twitter recently, uh, a catch 2020. Um, in ah, that, uh, that's funny. <laughs> the, uh, the data powers the, uh, the artificial intelligence, um, but the, uh, the amount of data collected is I think deep, deeply concerning. Um, and so uh, the the more data collected, the better these systems work. And yet the more data collected, the uh, more opportunities for uh, misuse of that data. Um, so it's uh, it's an interesting, uh, I think, conundrum. Um, you know, I, I hope, as you said, that folks are more aware of it so that they can make uh, more informed decisions uh, about whether or not they actually want to use some of these technologies um, because there are you know, both benefits and disadvantages um, and there should be conversations um, balancing those two. Um, yeah, no, and I was like, I just think um, the parents and the students should always, and the teachers should be a part of mm -hmm. the conversations as well. Cause I know at the district level, you know, decisions are made like, hey, we're adopting this technology and then it's brought in, but I think all the stakeholders <laughs> need to have a voice. Um, and it might vary by community because some communities might be like, oh, this is great. Um, others might be like, absolutely not. We don't want our students. <laughs> so I just think all the voices need to be a part of those decisions. Yeah, no doubt. And there are a lot of a lot of questions there, like who's creating those technologies in the first place? Why are they creating them? Um, this is you know, topic I'm particularly passionate about um, and potentially focusing my dissertation on more on the computer science side. Um, but uh, it matters who is creating those technologies. And I think that's one of the goals, it seems like, of the AI education project. Um, so why don't we why don't we go there? Um, what is the AI education project? I have lots of questions, but just kind of at a high level. Um, what, it, what is it? What are you trying to accomplish? We're an organization that believes that every student should understand what AI is, how it works, uh, its social impacts, and particularly as it relates to um, the future of work. And so it's basically, we like to say it's a movement <laughs> to um, 
just educate as many students as possible. It's more AI around AI literacy, especially the communities where these AI systems and automation seem to have negative impacts the most. And so often they don't get access to this information or have the opportunity to learn about it. So we're prioritizing those communities. Yeah, and I mean, in my experience, and I, I've talked a little bit about this, most of the AI K-12 conversation seems to be focused on the role of the teacher and creating time-saving technologies. I mean, there is definitely like that personalized learning piece. Um, but again, like I, I want to dig a little bit deeper, like why focus on students? Why focus on equity and accessibility in, uh, in AI? Um, why is that sort of the primary um, you know, lens with which you're viewing this work? Yeah, so having been a teacher, I know that it can take a while for certain topics to get into the pipeline to be included into curriculum. And so we just figured this integration and adoption of AI is moving very rapidly. And so we just wanted to try to go as direct to the student, the person you know, the people that will be impacted the most as directly as possible. And as I said, just my time teaching, you know, eighth grade at a low income school, I just, uh, even within the school that I was at, it was, we'd get these cool, you know, programs that would come or software or just opportunities, uh, but it was always targeted toward the handful of, I guess, high performing students, you know, the majority of the students were, and I think it was just like, this handful of like 20 students and then they would get to do all the cool stuff and I would always just be like okay doesn't everyone else you know need to know um, about these things so or at least have the opportunity to learn about them so that's part of the equity I think it's just equity and opportunity to access certain knowledge but also equity in how things are built so you had mentioned mm -hmm. it makes a difference who builds the technologies. I also think it makes a difference in who builds curricula. If you have the same types of people building the technology that are also determining how it can be taught, it's still you still end up with the same results. So like, for instance, when I built and developed this curriculum, I had my eighth grade students in mind, like, okay, how would I reach them? What kind of examples would I use? And not just from a ratio, racial or uh, socioeconomic as well, but also just youth culture in general. So I actually did a lot of um, research on Gen Z, you know, what resonates with them, what's important to them. Uh, so I found out top of the list is being financially successful. So that's why um, jobs was used as the context for teaching about this. Um, but then social justice and civil rights issues are also important to this um, particular groups of students. So that's why we use case studies in real world examples that grapple with the social and ethical issues of AI. So I think, yeah, just taking all of those. And then we just wanted to create an easy on-ramp for as many students as possible. So a lot of times AI education and literacy takes the CS route through the coding and the programming. So we just felt it was important to first establish a conceptual understanding. And we feel the more students that have that conceptual understanding are able to take you know, this general understanding and transfer it to a new context, that's really important. And we kind of like, we feel like we're feeling, filling that gap between you know, AI literacy and when you start coding, because a lot of times you just start coding and it's like, 
What about this whole first piece, understanding what it is, how it works? <laughs> yeah, and, and so let's talk a little bit about AI literacy because your website states AI literacy should be a basic component of every student's education. That's a big statement. And I think, you know, a basic component, I assume similar to math, reading, writing, science. Um, it's not at the moment. And I think it's probably safe to say, as you have alluded to, that a very small percentage of K-12 students learn about AI in school. And those students who are learning about it, you know, often are likely from a particular demographic. Um, so what what is AI literacy? What does that mean to you? Why is it important? Um, and then how is it related to the work that you're doing at the AI Education Project? Yeah, AI literacy, I think, is just understanding AI within the context of being we say it's a civics-based approach, but being a citizen, a worker, a creator, and a consumer. So just understanding the actual context in a student's real life and what they can do, how they can navigate, um, how they can make decisions. Kind of the same way when you take um, a civics course where you're understanding like, oh, this is how the laws and rules of our land work. Um, this is where I fit in as a citizen. These are my rights. This is how I can make sense of the world. So I just think uh, basically AI literacy is giving students the ability to read their world as we head into like the digital economy, uh, which I think is important. And then the second part of your question, you said, how does that relate? I forgot the second part. How does, how does it relate to the work that you're doing at the AI Education yeah. Project? So. Um, the work we're doing is we're attempting to do exactly that. So we're trying to give them a basic understanding. This is how you're already using it as a consumer, or you might not know when you're using it as a consumer, but we also give them opportunities to envision how would they use it, you know, to solve problems or how would they apply it, you know, to come up with solutions or even uh, one thing we do is really look at the unintended consequences of it and use that as a way to kind of spark them to want to go into, you know, maybe CS or engineering or something to solve the problems. Because as you stated before, there is only a small homogenous group of people <laughs> that are making these technologies. So yeah, just showing them how it's used all these different areas of their life, like criminal justice, entertainment, education, and then just hoping they'll take that and make more informed decisions. Um, especially what they plan to do with their as their future work. Yeah, I mean, I think the the informed decision making piece feels so relevant, um, especially because as you you know, as we alluded to earlier, like data compounding on each other, um, you start to almost become disempowered because you're um, you're uh, you know putting some of those decisions into other people's hands based on uh, the, the the original choices that you've made. And so I think, yeah, I think that, you know, that's, that's, that's super helpful. Um, and you reference a civics-based approach. Um, one of the things I was thinking about was the connection to digital citizenship. And it seems like an interesting potential way to connect uh, artificial intelligence and digital citizenship because personally, I'm not a huge fan of digital citizenship uh, as a phrase. It's just regular old-fashioned citizenship nowadays. Um, <laughs> yeah. But the it just got me thinking that, you know, digital citizenship isn't, I think, talked about as much in schools. Um, I saw that a lot in my prior job through some of the data that school districts collected around how often they had 
conversations around, you know, quote unquote, digital citizenship. But I'm wondering if you see sort of that same connection there. Um, maybe that's an interesting entry point um, around artificial intelligence and digital citizenship um, serving as sort of a, a conversation starter for some of these uh, school districts. Yeah, definitely. If you're like, I think we have really strong <laughs> opinions about it. So like, if you're not talking about AI or discussing AI, truly citizenship. I mean, AI is being called the new electricity, like that shows how transformative it is. And so um, uh, at the beginning of our organization, we conducted this huge landscape review just to see, you know, how are teachers and schools, you know, going about teaching about AI. And then surprisingly, it was like, pretty much they weren't. <laughs> And so uh, that was kind of shocking, you know, because on almost every school or district, you know, website, you see a part of their mission and their vision is preparing them to be, you know, ready for the next career, preparing them to be 21st century citizens. But it's like, how is that possible if you don't even introduce them to the concept of artificial intelligence? So I agree with what you say. It is citizenship. It's just that's the component that is kind of missing and not talked about. So yeah, I think introducing that into these conversations or people might not even know to introduce it. Um, Cause I would say AI is such a like ubiquitous, almost invisible, like it's there operating in the background underneath the surface. So you're not even aware of it. Um, but I think if you kind of bring that to the forefront be like, hey, you're already using it here, 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 and here. Um, I think there's like a recent survey we saw where um, I forgot how many adults they asked, but it was just like however many thousands of adults uh, where they asked them, uh, have you used AI within the last 24 hours? And I think only like 25% of adults said they had. So just kind of shows just uh, the lack of awareness of how these systems are just embedded into our everyday lives. So. Yeah, and I think grounding it, grounding those in practical examples, um, like Netflix, like Amazon, um, I think those are useful, uh, useful opportunities to begin to share with folks how, as you mentioned, how ubiquitous it actually is. So uh, can you tell us about any implementations that you've done so far and what you've learned from those implementations? And I guess what excites you about some of that work too? Yes, so we conducted our first pilot with our curriculum, which is totally digital, it's online. Um, it's totally built out in Google Classroom and Canvas Learning Management Systems um, in Akron, Ohio. And so we had about 300 students that participated in our curriculum. So we, from that first <laughs> learnings, we were really shocked at how interested the students were in the content. Uh, so we actually had students that were um, not completing assignments in their core classes, but they were doing all of the lessons in hours. And we were kind of just tagged on at the end of the last few weeks of the um, semester. Uh, they needed, you know, content to keep the students engaged online. But like, I think like 86%, you know, so they found our materials engaging, other roughly 90% said, as a result, after taking our course, they wanted to learn more about AI, they were interested in learning more. 
at the time it was 16%, but since our other implementations, roughly 20%, one in five students said, as a result of taking our course, they want to change their career choice or what they plan to major in college. So we're kind of shocked at the interest. Um, and then we did another pilot in Tampa, Florida with the Upward Bound program, which is like a federally funded program for at-risk high school students uh, to prepare them for a four-year college. And so we saw similar results um, with them, you know, with the engagement, they had lots of questions, just the awareness of how they plan to do things differently. Right now, we're in about 20 schools in five states uh, this fall. Uh, we're actually about to do a big rollout uh, with Akron Public Schools at, in about two weeks. So every freshman in the district is going to be taking our curriculum as a part of their um, career exploration unit for the second quarter. But so far, um, when we look at the feedback from students, uh, we're seeing the same thing like, wow, I didn't know this, you know, or it's more like eye-opening and they're really interested, you know, how can I learn more? And they like the way we're going at it from like this socio-technical approach. We've learned that it is of interest to students and they want to learn more and they want to use it to make decisions for their future. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the one of the things that I found as I was uh, reading through a lot of the literature on computer science and demographic misrepresentation in the computer science space is you learn about things like stereotype threat, um, but you also see that there is um, this perception that uh, you know technology jobs, computer science jobs, or however we want to call them you know, do not have that sort of social justice component that you cannot make a difference um, by getting into, let's call it a, like a tech profession. Um, and uh, and so once you, uh, you know, open students' eyes to the, the capabilities of it, um, like the real world application, um, I think you see, um, you see just big, big changes. And I think you see a lot of excitement um, from, from students. And it sounds like that's what, that's what you're seeing. Yeah. And also just like one thing, that's purposely done within the curriculum is to show as many like diverse people and diverse types of jobs that use AI. So we don't want students to walk away with, oh, it only impacts STEM jobs, you know, like, um, but we show them, hey, this is how it's being used in fashion. This is how it's yeah. being used in urban planning. And so we think that helps with just uh, their occupational identity because they can see themselves using AI or, hey, most likely I'm going to be working beside AI. So I think that piece, just identity in general, is important within, you know, the curriculum itself and addressing that. Yeah, no doubt. And I appreciate you calling that out, um, especially, uh, you know, the, again, like the ubiquity of AI, technology, whatever it is, it touches all of these professions. Um, and so you do not need to be uh, sort of a coder sitting in your basement um, to <laughs> be in that profession. It, you know, it's much more expansive than that. Um, so one thing that we talked, and I'm going to switch gears a little bit. One thing that we talked about in our initial conversation um, that I, I want to just um, continue that thread, and this also continues what you were uh, just referring to as well, um, is sort of that role of identity. Um, and in um, two of your papers um, that you have published, um, you talk about situated cognition, you use that as a framework to understand student experiences, and you highlight the importance of students taking on the role of in the 2016 paper, um, the example of a physical oceanographer, 
And you make a similar point in a 2018 paper where you write that digital games provide a context, a narrative storyline, scientific tools, real world problems for students to perform complex and authentic tasks. And through the affordances of games, students can take on the role of scientists and engineers and actually do science, do artificial intelligence, whatever it might be. Um, so why is it useful um, for students and especially students traditionally excluded from STEM fields, such as women and people of color to adopt those roles of scientist, of mathematician, of historian, whatever it might be. Um, so what role can games play? Why is it important that students adopt those roles? Um, and how do you envision um, sort of technology expanding to afford students more opportunities to sort of take on those um, virtual experiences? I think it's important, um, like you said, the situated cognition. And in this curriculum, we do a lot of that, you know, scenario-based creating these contexts and then having the students put themselves, um, you know, in these different roles, because when are they otherwise going to do that? <laughs> you know, so I think there should just always, no matter what subject you're teaching about, but especially in, you know, the STEM fields or the more technical fields, uh, because one, there really isn't that much representation that they're gonna see anyways, but I think just envisioning, um, themselves doing the tasks they would do in a future job or just role is really helpful. And I know there's research around that, like uh, I think it's called transmedia, which some work I had wanted to get into where uh, students actually do research on different, say careers or just things they wanna do. And then they translate that over into um, a space like uh, Minecraft where they actually in a 3D world build out, you know, the 2D learning that they have. So being in that 3D space kind of helps them uh, solidify and envision themselves. And so um, there's a lot of, I, I call them scenario-based prompts. <laughs> um, discussion prompts are some of the things uh, they do in the curriculum. But I think you're basically just helping your brain train to see yourselves doing these different tasks, doing these different roles. Like there's a saying, you know, if you can see it, you can be it, <laughs> but it actually is true. But if we don't provide opportunities uh, for the students to take that time to see themselves or envision themselves or do the types of task that job does, then it's pretty much just like reading text, <laughs> you know, on a page. And there's kind of like a spectrum of representation of um, content. So text being the most abstract version, learning all the way over to, you know, virtual reality. So I think the more we get over on the other end of the spectrum, you know, through modeling, through scenario-based learning, um, through taking on these roles, then that experience is more real uh, for the students. Uh, but unfortunately, I think a lot of curricula tends to be on more of that abstract and with like text and equations and tables, you know, like things like that. Yeah, definitely. And so do you, uh, I'm just curious how you envision your work kind of evolving um, and um, also how you envision technology evolving to better support some of these uh, experiences, um, you know, of uh, allowing students to, um, I think, you know, more realistically adopt some of these roles, moving away from the abstract and much more to the concrete. I know for me, just from the design aspect, I would 
Like I'm a big fan of using emerging technologies to teach about emerging technologies. Right now, we do have the kind of interactive. There are a number of games the students play. Um, like one is playing this game where they to learn about bias um, and hiring, you know, using AI. And then just some other ones that use machine learning, uh, like tools the students can use. But just from creating, um, I would love to eventually get to the point of using like augmented reality and virtual reality and um, just some of the things being done with um, internet of things like IOT sensors to help them get a better understanding, you know, about how AI, you know, senses the world or how AI reasons about the world. But that would be much, I won't say, I don't know how much later, but I eventually would like to, um, you know, add all these other emerging technologies as part of what we're doing so the students can actually be using it as they learn about it just to make it more concrete or at least be able to um, simulate it that's another thing using simulations as well as part of our training and then just also in different subject specific areas English and biology or just other areas as well yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, I think, you know, as we've talked a little bit about um, the just the the role of artificial intelligence, it isn't um, isolated to, you know, your traditional STEM concepts. Um, you know, there's so much more, um, more to it. There's so many more opportunities to engage other other core content areas, um, you know, as you've alluded to the humanities, um, writing other other areas. Um, and so uh, there are a lot of opportunities. It'll be interesting to see how uh, the technology evolves and how schools begin to adopt um, some of these uh, some of these technologies. Um, I am wondering. I know we're coming up on time. Um, there are a couple interesting books, um, and I don't want to sort of be a AI naysayer, um, but as we've alluded to, um, there are some concerns around um, you know accumulated uh, uh, data, uh, certainly student data, um, and how that data is being used. Um, there are, uh, an interesting book by Ruha Benjamin um, called "Race After Technology." Um, another one by I think it's Shoshana Zuboff on Age of Surveillance Capitalism. Are there any other um, texts? I mean, those are fairly dense, um, but uh, for parents, for teachers, for school leaders um, interested in learning more about artificial intelligence um, that, uh, you know, that'll help them just broaden their understanding of it, um, both application and impact. Yes, uh, there's actually an excellent book by Michael Kanan, which is K-A-N-A-A-N, called T-AI. I think it just came out a month ago or something, but he's like the head of artificial intelligence for uh, the US, I believe, I wanna say Air Force. I might be getting it wrong, sorry if I got it wrong. Um, <laughs> but it receives like some really, um, you know, top-notch reviews. It's easy to understand, it's pragmatic. I think he, um, like we've actually had a chance to interface with him and talk to him, but he had it with like a high school um, audience in mind. And so he gives all these just everyday, easy to relate to examples, explains things really clearly in simple ways without getting, you know, too technical. So I would definitely recommend that book. Great. Yeah. I don't know that one, um, but uh, I'm, I'm going to check it out. 
Anything else that you want to uh, talk about? Anything about the AI education project? Um, anything about the role of AI in schools or your research that you feel is you know is relevant to our conversation today? I think we've touched upon a lot of various um, various topics, but um, yeah, I'm curious if there was anything else you were hoping to to touch upon. Yeah, I guess just um, right now, I guess AI education, if you want to call it, or AI literacy, I think is. There's really only like a handful of people, um, mm -hmm. you know, doing it. There's like probably five or six organizations, but we just think that more people need to join the conversation. Um, we hope that more teachers, administrators, um, and parents are more open to just understanding what it is, um, that it is going to impact not just our students, but all of us. And so the same way that kind of like uh, code.org made the push for uh, CS, you know, at a policy level to be a mm -hmm. part of every uh, K through 12 students education. We hope to be a part of seeing that same thing happen um, for AI education, because we think it's that important uh, as well. So right now we're just trying to see if people are open, <laughs> especially to learning about it from uh, a non-coding approach. We think we kind of complement the CS version. We think you need both, you know, the coding and programming plus. So we just hope we can find partners and have discussions with people like you on this podcast. Yeah, and I appreciate you calling out the the sort of separation between the coding part and everything else, because that foundation, I think, is, is, is truly needed to, uh, you know, to be responsible programmers um, to go into any of these fields that impact artificial intelligence, if you're not aware of the potential impacts of it, um, of the, you know, historical context, um, you know, you're, you're going to miss out on a lot of the, the important information. Um, so, uh, yeah, I appreciate the work you're doing. I'm excited to um, uh, to continue to learn more about it. And um, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Enjoy it myself. <laughs>